as we uh, as we move into this uh, topic, uh, this is a, a very intriguing topic today, uh, and we're going to go into uh, some things that are going to make you think, as I always like to do, because the point is I want to encourage you to know that Christ is doing something. He's doing a unique story in each of each one of you. And that's what the focus is here in this passage. As we get into Ephesians 5, we're going to continue with that theme as we've been building on it from last uh, month. We've been thinking about how imitation is the key word to keep in mind through this whole chapter. It's imitating the love of Christ. And as we get into it, the topic today is the church that mirrors Christ <clears throat> A church, or the church, that is a biblical church, is going to be distinctive in ways that maybe just other churches that are culturally based, or uh, de depending on, on their theological stance of liberal or conservative, there are things that God wants us to know about <clears throat> what he does in a body of believers who he calls his own people that are redeemed. And we're going to look at that in a moment, but I want to say as we begin, the focus, when most people read this passage, is really quite narrow when they think about a marriage, because they take it out of context. And so I'm going to go back and give you the, uh, an, an overview to keep, keep you in mind. And so we said last week that if you're going to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, and you're going to walk in a manner that imitates Christ, then you're going to do so with a sense of, of a loveliness of Christ, of the, of the light of Christ, of the wisdom that he brings, and the fact that you, when he comes, there's a fullness of the Spirit that he talks about in chapter 2 and 3. <clears throat> that all that he does inside of us makes us new people, and therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things pass away, behold, all things become new. Well, that becomes into play here in this passage because when we were talking about last week that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's a condition, everyone has received the Holy Spirit because if you have been baptized in Christ, you've been sealed by the Spirit. We talked about that several months ago. But the mark that, that, that stood out to me is that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing, the first thing that comes as a result of that is submission. And I never put those two things together, that if, you, if God is doing something inside of you, something changes in your heart that you think is no longer about me, it's no longer about my rights, it's no longer about my doubts, it's no longer about my pain, it's, no it's about something else way beyond me, so Christ takes me out of me and fills me with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, mutual yielding to the Holy Spirit uh, in the body of Christ. And we talked about that last week, that when Paul was saying that be submissive to each other. And the idea of submitting ourselves or sending ourselves to one another, giving ourselves, presenting all that we are, <clears throat> is really the, the backdrop <clears throat> as we move into this relationship. Now let me share with you one thing that's that's... On a personal note, this, this passage become very personal because this lady and the way I thought about her in our marriage was changed by this passage. 
So I called Sandy up yesterday, or this week, I talked to her. But I said to Sandy, Sandy, when you think about what it means to submit, what do you think that means? It's always good to ask your wife. And we had a good conversation, and we've talked about this before, but she says, well, I think it's, it's about being equals, being a partner, being a team player, that we are a team, and, and we are. Of course, she's uh, designed as a woman to come alongside the, as the helpmate, but she's not just a helpmate, she becomes a partner, a companion, a soulmate in the sense that there's something unique about what happens in this relationship, <clears throat> but everybody generally understands that when it comes to marriage. But in particular, this passage changed the way I thought, uh, began to think about my wife 37 years ago. So I'm excited to want to share this with you, and I'll get to that in a minute. But the idea of this is not just my wife, she's my beloved. And she's the one that God has brought into my life to do something in my life, to my life, that radically would change my life. And her name is Handy. Unbelievable. So I'm very gifted that way uh, for the Lord blessing me. So as we get into this, I want to share with you four, four things, four pieces that we're going to go through this passage. And the four pieces have to do with uh, looking at marriage as a whole, then we're going to look at the church, look at the Christology, the, who Christ is, and we're going to look at the cultural piece, because if you don't understand all these, then you're going to misunderstand what he, he's going to get to in the, in the point when it comes to marriage. And so let me go this way. Let's start with the cultural background, because it's quite a claim that when we have Christ and that the church in Ephesus has a calling to mirror Christ, reflected, embedded, incarnated, imprinted. Uh, there's something about Jesus stamping his spirit on this group of people that's going to be reflective in that culture. And in the Ephesus culture, uh, there's a lot of different ways that they went about thinking about men and women. Culturally, as you come to this passage, you've got to stop and think, what was going on 2,000 years ago in that culture? So the first thing you want to realize is Ephesus was in the context of a Greek culture. And in the Greek culture, uh, the Greek culture uh, was definitely influenced by the philosophical uh, uh, culture, thinking of Rome and Greece as they were there together. But that's the idea that, <clears throat> that when, when God gets into cultural issues, what God can do with any cultural issues is he can take what is an expression of that culture and he can redeem it and transform it. Things like taxes. Uh, God just folks who are being served there. Things like taxes. When Jesus said, show me this coin and whose image is on that coin? This was not necessarily a, a spiritual thing. This was a cultural thing, paying taxes in the government. Jesus took something so common like taxes, and he took it and he redeemed it for his own purpose to say, whose image is on that coin? Render under Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render that which belongs to God to God's. 
And that's what God does. Jesus takes ordinary things in culture and he redeems them and transforms them, transforms them for kingdom purposes. Now, keep that in mind because what you find in this text is something that was very cultural that they understood. And I want you to understand what they understood so that we all understand what they understood. How about that? Aristotle... Aristotle and the Greeks were trying to establish order in their society. And so Aristotle and other teachers at that time would teach that women are to be submissive to men. The idea that women were to be submissive to men is not a revelation from heaven. I mean, it is but it's also a cultural thought pattern that they had. It was not uncommon for women to understand their role in society as they understand it today, that the women are, have always been conceived as being submissive to men because in a patriarchal society in the Middle East, throughout the Old Testament, you find that this was a very common theme. But what God is going to do <clears throat> is to take these common cultural themes and transform them. And, and so the idea that the roles in this passage, that the way the men and women are to relate in their culture, was, was a very common theme. And what he said uh, in, in this passage, that wives be submissive to your husbands, and children be submissive to your parents, and slaves be submissive to your masters. That was Aristotle. That was cultural. Nothing new about that. And if the Ephesians were reading this text, they would not focus on submission. We do, because as Americans, we are independent people. We, we have a different frame of mind when you hear that word submission that sends all kinds of things going off. But for the Ephesians, that was not the focus. So you need to hear this because as you get into these household codes, these are the way the expectations that their society ran to keep stability because Rome and Greece wanted everything to be stable. It's very important for them to have women submit to the wife, uh, wives submit to the husbands, uh, because not to do so would be to see some counterculture, subversive, a breakdown of the very family structure, which for the Romans, Romans and the Greeks, it wasn't allowed. So they had that thought in the back of their mind. Keep that in mind. Men at that time held various roles concerning women, various views concerning women to be sure. And some women were highly regarded and they were successful in business. Uh, not uncommon, but you'll find a whole gamut back then because there were some women that were treated terribly. Roman culture tended to be <clears throat> more freer than the Greek culture, but all of them had the same idea that uh, women had a place and they were they were under the man, so that was the typical thing for Aristotle in that culture. But here comes Paul. And Paul takes these household codes called Hustafelden in German. This is the way the culture works. This is the way the system works. This is the way marriage works. And Paul takes this model of a working family 
And he changes it. And this is what caught, this is what caught the Ephesian Christians off guard. Because what Paul began to introduce was to uh, a radical transformation of the code by introducing a new twist. And here's the twist. He would say, husbands, submit to your wives. And that idea of husbands submitting to your wives was the part that was so radical. And what was radical when I came across this was what changed my thinking about Sandy. What it says there is that husbands to be submissive to your wives, Paul was going to transform the way men are to relate to women. And in no other place except the New Testament will you find this transformation anywhere in the Greek or Roman literature. And so what he said was, husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And when the Ephesians heard that, they heard something that they hadn't heard before, and it was that this power position would no longer relate in authority and power, but he would relate out of love and sacrifice. Now that was radical. Now let me tell you how radical it was for me. Uh, When Sandy and I went into premarital counseling back in 1982, uh, a man named Eddie Eggerichs, which I'll talk about Eddie, Emerson Eggerichs, he wrote a book called Love and Respect. And what Eddie began to explain to us in our counseling was this, that the role of the wife in this passage is so unbelievably different than their culture, that the role of the woman was appointed by God to teach the man how to love. It says in this passage that husbands love your wives, husbands love your wives, husbands love your wives. Three times it says to the man, husbands, you've got to be like Christ and love your wife. How many times does it say to the wife, love your husbands? Zero. Women did not need to be instructed how to love. They know how to love. They were built how to love. They know how to nurture. They know how to give. They know how to present. They know how to submit. They really are caring. They, they were never told how to love. And therefore, when Paul says in 21, you want to be submissive one to another, but in 22 he says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. The weaker knows that he's the stronger, so he's gonna, she's going to submit. The children are going to submit. The slaves are going to submit. But when it comes to marriage, what was explained was, how do the men submit to the women? And the issue was this. If men are to love as Christ loved the church, who is going to teach them? Who's going to teach the man how to love? Answer, the wife. The wife. And therefore, when I began to understand that God put Sandy in my life primarily and exclusively for the purpose to show me how to love, to learn how to love, 
I needed to want to appreciate the role of my wife, my beloved, that this woman in front of me, this five foot four beauty, was not just for me to enjoy, but was she was going to be the very means by which God was going to use to sanctify me as I would submit to her teaching in order to for me to learn how to love. Three times Husbands, love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. And therefore, this was quite radical for, the, for that culture to understand that women have power and women have purpose. And that purpose was to be honored and respected by the man. So as the man would come alongside, they would see each other not as power positions or hierarchy. It was a oneness that, of course, if she's my beloved I would want to serve her. I would want to move towards her with her best interest of mine at my expense. Of course, I I can't see anything else but sacrificing because she is the love of my life. Now, keep in mind, this is not about marriage. Keep in mind, this is the way the church is to reflect and respond to the sacrifice of the love of Christ. And therefore, the response is modeled and imitated as the marriage mirrors Christ and the church. That's what's going on in this dynamic. And it was radical. The Ephesians never heard the word submission. They probably did. But what they really heard was love. Husbands? Love? Now, before you fall off your pew, uh, you think about in our day and age, we tend to take this as a political thing, that we're equal. But this is not about equality. This is not about authority. This is not about gender roles. Or it, This is about imitating Christ. The woman imitates Christ. The man imitates Christ. And therefore you move into this second part, this Christological perspective. This is how Christ relates. And as Christ Uh, comes to you, he presents himself. He doesn't submit himself. This is not so much a mutual submission kind of thing as much as it is a sacrificial giving of himself. And therefore Christ is known throughout Scripture. He existed in the form of God, but he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. It wasn't about equality. It wasn't about position. It wasn't about status. It wasn't about the code. It wasn't about the culture. It was about the heart. And when Christ would give himself, he would give himself fully, lovingly, graciously, on your behalf. That's what we are to do as the church, is to present ourselves fully. Not 10%, 20%, not part-time, not partially. Everything. Come away, my beloved. I'm with you. Where is he? I'll seek him. And therefore, this relationship was the beautiful thing that this church was counterculture in the sense that what they were known for is not just cultural rules, but a romance. And therefore, this romance between husband and wife, Christ and the church, was the radical thing that just, it just threw the Ephesians for a loop. You mean the husband would sacrifice? The, the one who's on high would come down to serve? Wow. That's what's radical about this passage. <clears throat> and therefore, when you go into the, the idea of the church, 
when the church is told submit one to another, it's just as radical because it doesn't mean that those you love, it means that we are to bring ourselves and give ourselves and serve, not out of positions of power or role or politics or committee roles. And that's why we changed the name of the leadership team to servant leadership team. We are here to serve. We are here to sacrifice. Why? Because we care. We want to imitate that heart of Christ. And therefore, as we move into the church relationship, you think about what Christ really wants for us in marriage and in the church are these two themes that Christ would always say, I will surrender, I will sacrifice, I will love, and I will respect. What are the If men are commanded to sacrifice and love, what are the women supposed to do? Well, they surrender because they respect the man. And therefore, this idea that love and respect in the marriage is translated into love and respect in the church, that means this, that none of you in this, in this room, none of you should ever feel disrespected by any other one of you. That any conflict or any tension is a mark the fact that you have not learned how to love or you have not learned how to respect. And that mark means you haven't been influenced by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if you're going to imitate Christ, any conflict is an opportunity for you to learn how to go to Christ, be filled with Christ, and then walk in the Spirit in order to reflect Christ in any conflict. Now, there's going to be a lot of questions with this. Because it means that you have a role in my life and I have a role in your life, but if you know that I love you and I care and I respect for you, there'll be a submission and an openness to share back and forth. And this is what Eddie Eggerich would teach Emerson. Uh, I call him Eddie because I knew him when he was Eddie, not Emerson. He got famous. But Eddie would say this, to understand the role of the needs of the wife and understand the role and the needs of the husband, you have to understand simply this. That's pretty simple, this book, is that wives are made to love. Wives are made to love. And wives want to love. Uh, and the third thing is uh, wives expect love. Wives expect love. Because Love is at the core of, of any relationship. And wives know that much better than men. But men, if you ask a man, the average guy, if you want to know you want to be loved or you want to be respected, which one is the guy going to say? Men want to be... The average guy says, I know she loves me, but I really want her to respect me. And therefore, a big Denver Bronco uh, defense linebacker who pushes men up and down the field all day long, a big 280-pounder goes home to his 104-pound uh, wife, and he is terrified of her because if she doesn't respect him, uh, he will crumble. Men, men, on the other hand, if women want love... Women are made to love, and wives want love, and expect love. Husbands want respect. And therefore, husbands, uh, 
they they feel like they they need to be respected, they want to be respected, and they expect to be respected. And this is the tension in the church. Because when you come to this relationship where women are to respect the man out of reverence to Christ, submitting to the man out of reverence to Christ, what this means is this. Not only is there on the human side, but it's recognizing that the man is put in the relationship over the woman for the purpose of God ministering to the woman. And as the woman is put into the life of the man so that the man would submit to the woman, both of them reflect Christ to each other. Now keep this in mind, because this is not about just marriage, because if you're single, or if you're a teenager, or a young person, this passage has no meaning for you. Except the idea is that you are to honor and respect everyone. Kids, you're supposed to respect your parents. There it is. Slaves, you're supposed to honor your, your masters. There it is. This is about honor and respect. And if you don't honor and respect, what you have is exasperated, exasperated men, violent men, dominating women, which is a call for women to teach the man. This is radical, absolutely radical. And therefore, we don't pick this up. When you get into this context, this is what was going on in Ephesus. The women were saying, hey, I've got, a, I've got an important role to play. And men saying, you mean I have to submit to her? Yes, out of love. And that was the exchange that was going on. And as you get into this, you understand that only when we focus on our needs and we overlook the needs of others, they feel unloved, and they feel disrespected. And so Eddie would talk about this, when, when you find yourself being energized by your spouse's response, out of love or, or out of respect, there's a mutual, a mutual dynamic going on that was influenced by the Holy Spirit. And that's what's happening in this kind of biblical arrangement. If this isn't going on, you have people talking about gender roles, uh, rights, and this is not this is a cultural a cultural form that we're dealing with in our in our world today. But you understand what Christ wants to do here is transform everything that we do in our culture, everything we do in our relationships by having the Holy Spirit come and imitate, imprint on himself on us himself. And therefore, if you understand what I'm saying, that you are energized by yielding yourself to the purposes of God for the, the growth of my spouse, for the growth of my friend, for the growth of my church. And therefore, I will move towards you in order to imitate Christ's love. I will sacrifice for you as Christ sacrificed for me. If you understand this passage, it's going to create all kinds of havoc, which we'll talk about next week. Which means this, what happens if a woman does not respect her husband? Submit to one if a man is not respectable. What's the role of a wife who can't submit to one who's really a, ter a tyrant, a domineering, self-centered jerk? I mean, that's what's going on here, folks. Because that wife is the very tool by which the Holy Spirit's going to use to address a self-centered man. How? To get him off of his self-centeredness 
It's this relational component that's so powerful that we simply would miss by just a code. And therefore, the wisdom, the love, the light, the influence of the Spirit have all got to come into mind. What happens if a, if a man doesn't lead and a woman doesn't follow? When a man doesn't lead and women start to nag or control, how does a husband deal with an independent woman? Those are the issues that are coming up. And that leads us into chapter 6 later on about spiritual warfare. Because what's going on in the human heart really is the whole ministry. Let me put it on pause here because this is enough to get your whistle wet and to think about, man, this is a lot of stuff. It is. But that's what God wants to do. He wants to change us so that, not that we have better marriages, but so that we know Christ better to imitate that sacrificial love, that respect where it needs to be in order to grow the church. There's a lot there. Let me stop here and we'll continue next week. Let me just pray. You say, come away, my beloved, because you love us. And Father, we focus on everything else but that. Make us lovers, just like you. Teach us the wisdom that you had. And if we weren't fallen people, Father, we would understand this. But because we are fallen, we don't understand this. So I ask now that your Holy Spirit would teach each and every one of us in this room what we need to know in order to be like you. So Jesus, would you help us do this and bring us back next week in Jesus' name.